Welcome to the Cult of Domesticity podcast, a podcast about history, true crime, and whatever life brings us. I'm Courtney, and every week I am joined by another fascinating person. Let's see what we're going to talk about this week. Welcome back, devotees. We're back again with Morgan from the Frankenpod, and this time... Hello. Oh, yeah, sorry, I should let you introduce yourself. Morgan slowly wilting in the heat. Yeah. Australia is now purple. I don't have a towel that I'm constantly wiping myself with. That is an illusion. Oh, you should have just, like, you should have got cold water on it and just laid it on you. Yes, yes, I, yes, I should have. But knowing me to probably fall into the microphone, <laughs> we'd all end up electrocuted. Well, you won't. I don't, that's not how electricity works. Never well, mind. Well, as long as it's not on you. Well, mics are self contained. I don't think it would make you explode. No, I don't think so. I don't know. I have been watching Black Books, Sorry. and he was making toast and blow drying his hair in the bath and he didn't die but i also don't think there was water in there just a lot of bubbles yep yep it would be very sad if bill bailey died national treasure of a nature national treasure of a nation that i'm not of a commonwealth (laughs) yes yes national commonwealth treasure there we it is the 50th episode i forgot i was gonna Happy birthday! Yeah, I missed the podversary because I was moving. It's <laughs> like yes. my excuse for everything. What were you doing? Moving? To be fair, you, you've been pretty constantly moving. <laughs> Even now, <laughs> it's kind of still valid because I have to travel for work. So it's like, where were you? I went to Columbus. Oh, why? Training. Well, how long were you there? <laughs> A day. It's only two two hours and threatening by Ohio State Highway Patrol constantly, but it's fine. They'll only give me, like, a giant ticket that I'll be mad about. It's cool. Fun fact, don't speed in Ohio (laughs) highways. Our State Highway Patrol, they're assholes. They're good people, but when they do their job, they're assholes. I I don't know what it is. I think the police officers around here see the look of panic in my eyes, and they go, oh, no, we're going to have to deal with this woman for hours if we do we're going to be stuck with this woman if we give her a ticket. What are she's we going to cry. How do we get away from this? She's going to cry. She's got the children They're in the back. They're going to cry. Oh, my God. Everyone's going to cry. And they've always been like, like there was this wonderful guy who's like, I wasn't wearing my glasses. And he's gone, it says you need glasses. I'm like, yes. He's gone, are you wearing glasses? No. He's gone very leading. Are you wearing contacts? I'm like. No, and he's just looked exhausted <laughs> at me. Like, <laughs> just like, are you serious? Like, just say he's got can't, contacts. Can't prove it. Can't disprove it. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. For the fiftieth episode. <laughs> Sorry. I'm drinking the lovely whiskey that Heather from Nature versus Narcissism gave me for Christmas, and Morgan was laughing at me because I I have it in a wine glass because I only have so many glasses. So is this or a mug? Sorry, Champlain life. Mugs are classy. And so I was spinning. I. I was treating it like wine, and I was circling it and smelling it. It has a smell. That's a legitimate thing oh, to do. Oh, it smells do. really nice. It smell. It's like so smooth. It's chilled now because I put ice cubes in it and then left it from our first recording. So it's nice and cool. It smells. The boat. The boutique has opened up. Bouquet. Bouquet. The bouquet. <laughs> boutique. <laughs> I'm not even drunk. Um. Yes. The bouquet has opened up. It smells. <laughs> Really nice. Sorry, I fell off my <laughs> chair. I apologize. The whiskey boutique. 
the whiskey boutique. Although that's a boutique. That's a boutique I'd, I'd go, go to. I'd go to that boutique. I'm right by Kentucky. I could go to the. I'm sure there's. Oh, that sounds like an amazing thing to open. Someone do that, please, and please tell me where it is. Yes, I would like to try the. Fa- can it, can we have it like wine tastings where you can try little bits for cheap prices, so I can try expensive whiskey and have money. That's all I ask. Yeah, it's only a small ask. Um. So Morgan's gonna tell us about another possible asshole of history. Oh yeah, he's a doozy. <laughs> Is he a douchebag of history? Is that uh, more apt? Oh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, so I want to talk to you about Lord George Gordon Byron. I did not know his middle name was Gordon, and that's just... He also added He also added a Noel in there at one point, too. Now I just want him to be played by Noel Fielding, because he threw a Noel in there. He could. He could. He so could. Someone please pitch that to Noel Fielding. Please, and I want him to wear yeah. like a crow, his crow outfits where he's wearing those big shirts that are kind yes. of like a poncho. <laughs> and someone just pat Noel Fielding and tell me about it. That would be less too. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. Yeah, just send Noel Fielding yeah. our way. I would like to be friends. <laughs> so I should probably mention why we should care about Lord Byron at all. So uh, he was a celebrity poet before there were celebrities. Uh, he wrote pieces such as Child Harrod and Non- Juan. I pronounced it Don Juan, not Don Juan, for some reason. Pretentious. He was a hipster yes. before hipsters. Yes, he really, really was. Actually, more like more emo. Actually, um, I have to. I have um, to mention. I'm reading. I've been reading it for a while, but uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell and Byron makes an appearance. So when you told me you were doing this, I was like listening to it. And I was like, yes, tell me more. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So, um, I, I don't know if I should do the nauseating reading of a poem now or later. Do I, do we want to put people off? Cause a lot of people talk about Byron's life without actually talking about the poetry. Let's do the poetry first so we can get into the dirty bit second. So you remember, okay. we get, we get the good, we get the good poetry in as long as Remember, I told you, I'm good with any poet as long as it's not Tennyson, because I have a hatred of Tennyson. Which is fair. Which is fair. I can get on board with that hatred. And I explained to you um, my reason for my hatred of Tennyson, which we're not going into unless Courtney starts a Patreon and has Rant Corner, where I just spew about things I hate. <laughs> <laughs> for your $5, you will get Tennyson and all the problems with him. It's, it's not even really that many problems with him. I took a class. And that caused 99% of the problems. <laughs> also, just pissing off one girl because we said he was gay. And she was like, stop saying that. Oh, but... Uh, up and... Yeah, no, I'm not even going to get into, into this because it'll be six hours not later. Even, it, oh, God. Into the public indecency laws. I can't even... <laughs> anyway. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. I'm just mentioning the 30-year poem he wrote to his best friend who died. That's all I'm saying. There was some, my eyes are in the back of my head. There are some bits in there that are pretty... Saucy. Again, podcasting is not a visual medium. We were just making suggestive eyes at each other. <laughs> Eyebrows were raised. No. Eyes were like, what? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I am not a... I might be doing a literature degree, but I am not a poetry student. I'm one of those obnoxious literary literature students who are looking at analyzing books 
and it's all boring. Anyway, so the po- my favourite poem of Byron's that I'm going to butcher is actually a hangover poem that he wrote. Yes, as I drink my whiskey. <laughs> so we'll go no more a-roving so late into the night, though the heart be still as loving and the moon be still as bright. For the sword out wears its sheath and the soul wears out the breast, and the heart must pause to breathe and love itself have rest. Though the night was made for loving and the day returns too soon, yet we'll go no more a-roving by the light of the moon. That was a nice quick one. That's beautiful. I've never read Byron. I like it. Yeah, that was one that he just kind of did while I was hungover. So the stuff that he does and ruminates on is a lot more. A lot of boobs? <laughs> uh, not so much boobs. There's like one that's about a dress that his cousin, his cousin wore a morning dress and he wrote a poem about her. And not, not, he wasn't, his poems aren't as horny as he was. <laughs> Shall we put it that way? Yes. So he was responsible for a very particular kind of male hero, like the brooding complex Byronic hero, mm-hmm. combination of good and evil. So without Byron, Jamie Dornan and Robert Pattinson wouldn't have a career. You know, the Twilight and the Fifty Shades of Grey, the he- the male hero in those. Yeah. He's too. He's a bad boy and you sh- shouldn't go near him. And he's brooding. And what's he thinking? Who knows? But it's dark. <laughs> and... That's that's the Byronic hero, and you can't see my ridiculous faces, so I apologise in advance. I was just doing Blue Steel the entire time she was saying that, though. <laughs> that's pretty much it. Blue Steel uh, with more eyebrows and more pissing off Jack Whitehall because you're not Robert Pattinson and that's all he does is brood. <laughs> There's a whole bit on it. I'll share it on the podcast group. Plug. So the fun things about Byron first... He loved to socialize. He was athletic, creative, good-looking, bisexual, clever, and he loved animals. I like that you just snuck that bisexual in there. <laughs> well, because I think I think it's kind of cool because he was he had long-standing relationships with men and he didn't really hide it. That's really nice, especially at that time. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of who. Um, oh, I can't think of who it is. All I'm thinking of Poe Party is the actor who played him in it. Um, he was very flamboyant who got persecuted for being gay. And I can't remember his name. So I know like like a, like eighty years later, Oscar Wilde went through all that. That was it. Yeah. That's when okay, so it wasn't such a bit we're looking at like seventeen eighty eight when he was born, so it's not Oh, so he's um, a contemporary of Austin, so you see the mutual brooding of Darcy with the mutual brooding of Byron. So really Darcy a, is a a little influenced. Yes, but I think Austin wrote Darcy before the Byronic hero came about. So, and I think Byron said some awful things about Austin too. I'm not sure though. Um, I'm probably talking at my ass there. So ah, it's I fine. Apologize. We're not at an academic conference. Who's going to complain? <laughs> if you're looking for predetermination, so like spooky foreboding, you get a lot of that in Byron. Um, Love spookiness. His mother. Oh, yeah. His mother, Catherine Gordon, talked to a person referred to in the literature as a gypsy. So maybe someone of Romany background or clairvoyant. Um, and uh, his and the clairvoyant told his mum to beware her son's 37th year. And Byron died age 36. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. Spoopy. And then... Yeah, and then his grandfather, Foulweather Jack, they used to call him because every voyage he went on ended in disaster. He survived, but he was about the only one, typically. 
that's actually very impressive because I've studied shipping at that time. So if you kind of get fucked if your if your ship goes down, depending where it goes. Yeah, I'm. I, I should have prefaced this with this is the poetic version of Byron's life. I I tried I tried to make I tried to uh, take all the accounts and use the best bits. I've got sources for all of it, but it's there's a lot of rumor and myth in Byron's story. And you guys so, um, know where to find the sources, so in the show notes. All beautifully cited. We're both ac- we're both academics in some sense, so we're both like we were talking about citing earlier and I was like I like I have my settings and I can cite them a certain way. And if someone's gonna look at it, they're gonna be like why did you pick this format? It's not used by everyone. I'd be like, because it's nicer and smarter. I like it. Because I like it. And it's the one historians use, so that's why. This is Courtney's sourcing corner, and we're done. <laughs> this is a podcast about citation and sourcing. Uh, sorry. <laughs> that is great. I'm pretty sure there probably is one, but... Oh, there'd be like some sort of, yeah. This and talking about one. people who, who cite wrong in the fights and footnotes, because those are my favorite. Yes. Anytime there's a good diss in a footnote. Yes. And you're just like, oh, please tell me more. Um, We talked about that in the last thing. You were saying that, um, what was his name? The guy that was talking about Charlemagne. Einhart. Yep. And the, the, the slight little things that he didn't quite fill in all the information. He would, he would do this and it... People would say that, like, he, he was aware of this. And it's like, aware of what, Einhart? What are you not writing? Put it down. <laughs> put it in a footnote. We get it's your friend, but still, put it in a footnote. Do it. <laughs> so Byron very nearly died during his birth uh, of suffocation. So he was born with a call, oh. which is like a membrane over his head and face. They just wanted to preserve Disgusting. that very well. Yeah. Um, so sailors... Sailors often took calls with them to sea because having a it wasn't particularly common to have a call during left during birth. The sailor who took Byron's call to sea drowned. <laughs> Not lucky. Not lucky. So Byron had a club foot for, from birth, um, for which he blamed his mother. Naturally, mommy issues. Naturally, um. Byron and his mother had a pretty fraught relationship with some sources saying that she had an alcohol problem and that the young Lord was in constant defiance of her because she was quite short and he was quite tall. And so he'd pick on his mum. Well, yes, because he's a giant and she's short. Yes. Um, there are other sources that paint a much more pleasant view of their relationship. But as with everything with Byron, it's hard to separate the legend from the reality. When he was 10, he inherited an almost worthless estate that was hemorrhaging money from his great uncle, and it was called Newstead Abbey. This uncle was, no- was known as the Wicked Lord because he set about destroying his estate so his son could not inherit a valuable estate. He set things on fire. He destroyed property because he, he thought that his son was going to try to kill him or something. And so... Not unheard of. But then his son died before he did. <laughs> That's just irony. And so somehow the estate ended up in little 10-year-old Byron's hands. Um, Probably male heir. You needed a male heir. He was the closest male heir. Yes. (laughs) So that was in 1809. At a young age, Byron wanted to be a politician, so this suited him nicely. Uh, Whether he made best use of this opportunity, it's debatable. (laughs) He assumed the role 
1809, then left to go on an extensive grand tour around Europe, which was very popular at the time for young men. They'd go on a bit of a fuck tour around Europe. Yeah. You know, um, you wake up, you and your tutor go to the museums and the things, and then you at night you go party and fuck everyone, and then you have to go hungover with, back to the like somewhere else the next day with your tutor, and then talk about the things, and then you do it in a different city, and a different city, and a different city. It's a hard life. It's hard eating, drinking, fucking, learning about shit. Yeah. Well, Byron, Byron and food was a whole thing. He um, had an eating disorder. You don't often hear about men's eating disorders, which I'm sure is still like a real thing, but you just don't hear about it as much. No, definitely not. And the only reason that we know about it is because his friends and his doctor talked about it. He wasn't forthcoming with the information. As you would expect. Uh, yeah, I don't think most people are forthcoming with their eating disorders. No. It's not a thing. There are some very brave people out there that are like, ta-da, this is what it is. This is the reality of it. In case anyone's wondering, this is how hard it is. But aside from that, it's not exactly table conversation. Um, Wait, people don't talk about their eating disorders at dinner parties? Damn it, I knew I was asking the wrong questions. You've been doing it wrong the whole time. That's why I'm not invited to dinner parties. <laughs> that and my horrible fun facts. <laughs> Byron was anti-automation. So he, uh, he he wanted to ensure that there were jobs for the common man. He wrote a poem called Song for the Luddites in 1816. Oh, the Luddites. The Luddites. So he was, yeah, he's anti-automation, anti-industrial revolution, all that sort of stuff. Fuck the machine. Exactly. But not in the wrong place because it'll take your wieners straight off. Now, sorry. I'm so keeping I'm really that sorry. in. I'm keeping that in. So he was, but he wouldn't do anything that jeopardized his own position as an aristocrat. So naturally. He was, he was, he was, very political in the same way that a lot of left-wing politicians are now. We want it, you know, the left-wing politician wants justice for the working class and looking after the poor, but not if it's going to risk jeopardising my shit. Yes. So that's where we're at with Byron. Um, pretty standard politician stuff. His father, Mad Jack Byron, was notoriously cruel. Yeah. <laughs> The names, Some names. The names. Uh, we're just we're just a group of girls who love a good name. Oh yeah. Um, Mad Jack Byron was notoriously cruel, particularly to his first wife. Byron's mother was his second. Uh, the first wife died during childbirth. From this first marriage, he had one daughter. Her name was Augusta. She would play a huge role in her half brother's life. Raised eyebrows. Raised eyebrows. Well, I was just thinking, Augusta. You can tell the neoclassicism that is coming about with the. Roman names. Yes, very much so. Rule Britannia. Ru Britannia rules the waves. I know most of that, sadly. Yes, so do I. From shows, I'm assuming. Can't think of which ones they are, but I'm sure. Mine's not from shows. Oh no, where do you know it from? <laughs> from research. Because oh, it's just going to come up a lot. <laughs> Imagine Based on it would the British Empire, so it comes up a lot. I imagine it would. Oh, goodness. I can't look at, at it without start singing it in my head, so it's happening. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Oh, it's fine. I've just accepted it. 
It's like how I know the Canadian <laughs> national anthem because my friend and I wanted to go visit Canada, so we would just sing it. I know like the first two lines of it. I actually know the first line. I know Oh Canada, that's about it. <laughs> I think I still know a decent chunk of that, and I'm not going to sing it because my, my beautiful singing voice is on this enough. It's strongly suggested that Byron and his half-sister Augusta had a sexual relationship of some kind. Consensual? Yes, it seems to be. Okay. it's. I mean, it's horrible still, but it makes me... F- it's not... It's a bit gross, it's, but it's not yeah. cruel. It's consensual, which is a lot better than, say, possibly Charlemagne and his daughters could have been. Yes, there's a definite power imbalance there. They didn't know each other until they were adults, really. So That's a little yeah. more... Yeah, it's like you didn't... It's like you didn't know, and then it, yeah. you find out. It's like whenever you go to wedding, family weddings, you got to be careful. You never know. <laughs> you never know who you're related to. Yeah. Back to Byron's incest. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I've lost Courtney again. <laughs> a title now. Back to Byron's incest. Some of the more scandalous rumors talked of Augusta bearing her brother's child, but at the very least, there was a very strong romantic love conveyed with through the little documentation that exists. I love me some um, little documentation. So letters and a divorce proceeding, which will come up later. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> Scandalous. Yes. He also wrote, wrote about incest too in his work Manfred, which might have either been him drawing inspiration from life or maybe people got excited about the fact that he wrote about incest in Manfred and kind of extended it to his life. It's really hard with Byron. It's really hard to tell what came first. The incest or the poem? The incest or the poem, as the old saying goes. Um, Augusta's daughter, Elizabeth Medora Lee's father is unknown. Wait, what's the girl's name? So, Elizabeth Medora Lee. Not sure where Medora comes from. Is it spelled like Madeira? No. Huh. Because I was like, it's M E D O R A. So it's not named after the wine or the island. So no, interesting. Maybe she just spelled it phonet- phonetically and uh, didn't get it right. I don't know. Ooh, that actually could be a possibility. Mm. Um. So there's always a speculation that she was actually Byron's illegitimate child. So yeah, Byron went to Trinity College, Cambridge, because he was a rich boy. Where one of the more fun and less fraught incidents in Byron's life occurred, Trinity College would not let him have a dog. How In the rude. accommodations. So rude. So the school laws forbid it, so he brought in a bear. <laughs> you told me I couldn't have this small four bipedal animal, so I'm going to bring this big bipedal animal into the dorm. Yep, and because Cambridge is an old stuffy institution, they couldn't change the laws very quickly, and so he had the bear for a while. Well, he did... Yeah, he did joke that um, he should apply on the bear's behalf for a fellowship, but... Um, did the bear maul anyone, though? That's the question. No, the nothing bad happened as far as the bear was concerned. It seems like the bear went there, it was all very funny, and then the bear left again. So... Where yeah. did the bear go? It's It's like Justin Bieber's monkey. Like, what happened? Why do you have this? I don't know. It's that whole thing when Byron loved animals, but... What happened to the animals after he got bored? Nobody knows. They went out to the farm. He did have a big abbey, I guess, to keep them on. And it's just full of animals. There's no one living there. It's just animals. <laughs> it's just animals. And one of Byron's old schoolmates, that they, they used to drink um, wine out of a monk's skull. 
As you do. At one point. I mean, everyone has the monk skull in their house to drink the wine out of. <laughs> Byron's version of like frat behavior, this monk skull. And they used to, do, they used to, used to oh, sorry, it wasn't, was it a monk skull or did they dress as monks? I think they dressed as monks. And drank out and of it a, skull. a skull. Yeah. That sounds more like it. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just thinking um, his abbey is now Animal House, where the animals are running the house and they're slowly turning into the people. Yes, I think that is legitimately what is happening here. Except his mum was there for quite a bit of it. So it's her, short little Mrs. Byron. Well, not Mrs. Yeah, so short little Mrs. Byron and all these animals. She is ruling the animals, followed by the bear and all the other animals. Yes, <laughs> the bear's her enforcer. So the dog that was refused residence at Trinity College was called Boatswain, or Botswain, depending on your pronunciation. And Byron was intensely fond of it. It was a massive Newfoundland. When, when the dog, I'm not going to try and pronounce it again, contracted rabies, despite Byron's, uh, it contracted rabies, and Byron looked after it his, himself for ages, and then it died. Poor Boatswain. Yeah, Boatswain has a massive marble monument in tribute to him. That seems like a massive waste of money. Yeah, it's the only work that he did on the Falling Apart Abbey while it was under his, yeah, it's the only work. He didn't renovate anything. He just made this huge marble monument for the dog. So half of it's burnt, the rest of it's falling down, and then there's like a new marble monument. Yes, that the bear polishes from time to time just to give it that. It's actually bigger than Byron's own monument. He really f loved that fucking dog. Yeah, and he wanted to be buried with it. So, yeah. I don't want to know. Um, I don't want to know. It's Byron. You best not to. <laughs> uh, um, at various times, the poet had an eagle, a peacock, monkeys, a fox, and a falcon. All standard animals, you know. Exactly. Have. I have three of them here right now. Which three? He traveled with a... You'll never know. <laughs> Which three? <laughs> um, he traveled with a lot of them too, um, especially the monkeys and the peacock, as it turns out. Uh, buh, buh. He also hunted a lot too, so the fondness for animals extended to shooting and eating them. My thing with hunting is as long as you're actually, like, eating them... That seems fair. Yeah, I don't know if he was ethical like that. I don't know if he, he ate what he hunted or whether it was like, good show, old chap, you shot that. Very good. Now let's leave that in the... I'm not sure. I wonder if they, I couldn't tell you. they would give them to less fortunate families so they'd come and like be like, here, Pez, have a deer. I shot this. I hope so. I hope so. But I have no idea. It's probably in the literature, but I, honestly, if I went through everything that's been written about Byron... You wouldn't have eyes? There's enough for at least one thesis in here, so I don't know. Byron was incredibly self-conscious about his disability with his foot. Um, so he, like, got obsessive about athletic feats and he used to swim every day and jump off things and run and jump and all the activities things um, as someone that is not into sports. That sounds horrific. He did all the running, the jumping, the swimming. You know, he'd be that person doing marathons and the thing where you swim and you run and you bike and you throw things. Yep. and Yep, and apparently he's very handsome, apparently. He's very, very, very good looking while doing it. You know, he can yes. flick his hair back. It's all soaking wet and lovely. Yes, and that's exactly what it was. 
<laughs> yes. And, and everyone constantly went on about how beautiful he was and how wonderful he was. And yeah. So at the age, he, Byron went on his grand tour at the age of 21 with a series of companions. And it was at about this point towards the end of his education um, and through to the end of the grand tour that he began to do two things. One, write some pretty amazing poetry and prose and two, have lots of affairs. Um, the publication of his work, Child Harold's Pilgrimage, got a, the poet a lot of attention from men and women. This celebrity only increased as the rumours and scandals of his personal life were leaked and often exaggerated. I'm not going to go through all Byron's affairs because there are too many of them. If we played the game where Courtney keeps drinking until you're done, I would die. Yes. <laughs> Al severe alcohol poisoning and probably disgust in Byron. Yeah. You know what? But uh, let him live his life. You know, he wanted... To to fuck men and women, let him fuck men and women. It's fine. It's not so much the quantity of affairs, it's how bad he was at disengaging from those affairs. Ah, he was needy as fuck. Yes, and also he destroyed the reputations of a lot of women who had no other recourse after they, you know, they'd had an affair with. It was okay for Byron to be bisexual so long as nobody talked about it, but if a woman slept with Byron, she could be ruined. Oh, yeah, no, women, of course, have no recourse. You're supposed to be a delicate little flower. Not be, not be stained. Keep your garden nice and nice, and no one but one person can tend to your garden. And if that person is Lord Byron, you're in trouble. Because he probably won't marry you, and he'll probably everyone will know about it, and then your garden will be ruined. Exactly. He'll take he'll take the the lawnmower all over the garden. <laughs> your garden's yes. reputation will be scorned, and you'll have to go where all. The sad gardens go, I'm assuming, is the country. Yes, I, I would assume so too. One of the women that fared less bad from an affair with Byron uh, actually said the quote that everyone knows about Byron, uh, that he was mad, bad, and dangerous to know. Oh. Yes. So um, less documented is the woman who said it, Carol Lady Caroline Lamb, who had an affair with Byron that did not end well. Byron was not known for his tact when it came to disengaging from romantic entanglements and he really upset Lady Caroline by spurning her at a party, at which she smashed her wine glass and threatened to kill herself with shards from the wine glass. That's, uh, I mean, <laughs> why not? What else are you going to do? He'll remember you. Yeah. Um, while they were having an affair, uh, she sent him many love tokens made from her own pubic hair, uh, which was apparently a common love token of the time. I know hair, Victorians loved hair tokens, which are creepy in general, and I've seen some of them, and now I'm more disturbed. Like, like I didn't know about the pubic hair part, and that's worse for some reason, because yes. their hygiene habits weren't the best, to say the least. No. And it seems like how you accidentally give someone crabs in an area where they normally wouldn't get crabs. Yeah, absolutely. Byron didn't have facial hair, but, you know, he could have ended up with beard crabs, face crabs. Hair crabs. Like your head. Yeah. Oh. It's like lice, but ten times worse. It'd be like yes. lice. It'd be like lice if they were spiders. I'm assuming. I hate spiders, so I'm just assuming it's that bad. If your head was covered in spiders. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't even know if I've ever met anyone who's legitimately had crabs. It sounds fucking awful, though. I just picture 
really bad sounding. I picture the crabs from 33% Pulp's Night of the Crabs, but just in your oh, job. the killer crabs. Oh my goodness. Like the killer crabs, and they're just like really aggressive, but they're only in certain areas, and you're just like, why is this happening? <laughs> One's got a little crown. He is King Crab. Who turned out to be Queen Crab, isn't it? I think hmm. this time it was Queen, queen Crab. 33% Pulp. I'm sure you're glad for this promo. Oh, goodness. She used to dress as a page boy for him too because he, Lady Caroline Lamb used to dress as a page boy for him too because he loved this page boy back in his school times. And so they did a bit of role play thing. It's pretty well documented. You know, what you got to do, get, do your kink as long as it doesn't hurt anyone and they don't try to kill themselves at a party because that brings the party down. No, it's not a party when someone's trying to slit their wrist with a broken glass. After their affair was finished, she had a party in which she burned an effigy of him. And they danced, like all the women danced and burned an effigy of Byron. And I kind of really like that. I kind of love it. That's, a, that's like a great divorce trick if you have a really bad divorce. Just burn them an effigy and party. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but the only way that you can step up from that is to write a whole fucking book about the guy. Oh, is it a tell-all? Please tell me. She kisses and tells. Well, it was a thinly veiled satire of Byron called Glenarvan. So she got her own back, which is wonderful. She wasn't the only one to write a satirical book about Byron. There were others. It's a dime a dozen. Yeah, so many, but she was the first. She's paving the way, you know, being the page boy, burning him in effigy, writing thinly veiled attacks on her ex. Wow, she's very modern, isn't she? I kind of really like Lady Caroline Lamb. <laughs> she's so dramatic. I kind of really love her. He married Annabella Millibank, an incredibly clever woman with a love of mathematics, who he was awful to. I'm sorry, I just thought you said Miliband, and then I thought about Millibank. The, the, the British politician who had the teenage girls who loved him, and I was like, that's creepy. Yes. Yes, I, yeah. I'm not sure if it's Millibank or Millbank, but I've, seen it, I've heard it pronounced both ways. So I'm going to say Millbank, because that makes the most sense yeah. to me. Um, okay. He cheated on her, he abandoned her, and he violently rampaged about the house, drunk or high or both. What was he high on? Laudanum. Oh, good time. So, you know, just getting high on opium, hallucinating, seeing shit. Great times. She also gave testimony during their divorce proceedings that he raped her three weeks after she had given birth. Oh, no, honey. Oh. That's where a lot of the stuff about um, his incestuous... That's where a lot of the stuff about his incestuous relationship with his sister came out during that stuff. Well, think about it. That's one way to get a divorce for a woman at that time. You have to have a good reason. Otherwise, your husband could ask for a divorce. And get it easier. And you had to petition Parliament. So on top of it, it's and because public. It's very public. She actually did really well in her divorce proceedings. She was actually able to keep her child. Which Holy shit. Time, yeah. The best thing to come out of that relationship was their daughter, who was raised by her mother to be clever, well-educated, and who shared her mother's love and aptitude for mathematics. Her name was Ada Lovelace, who is considered to be the most, one of the most important women in history. I didn't know Ada Lovelace was his daughter. Yes, she did some of the most important work for Charles Babbage's 
mechanical computer, the analytical machine, in 1842 and is believed to be the first computer programmer. She's amazing. She's fantastic. Uh, the women around Byron were pretty special. It's just a pity he was such a massive wanker. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Due in no small parts to the scandalous revelations of his divorce proceedings and also the incredible amounts of debt he had accumulated while in England, he left on another European tour in 1816 and would never return to England again. Don't you love at that time you could run from your debt? Yes. Because you just, The Shelleys did that too. You just needed a letter saying, like, I'm this person. And they're like, I am so-and-so and I know so-and-so. And they're like, yes, I will extend you a line of credit. And then you're like, okay, bye. It must, it must have worked at certain times. Otherwise, why would they keep doing it? Because most people paid it. Hmm. But scoundrels and upper crust people would not, and they'd bounce Poets. around. And I mean, how much money do you make writing poetry? I don't know. Probably. The Byron made quite a bit, but probably the same as a historian. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Probably, except a lot of the poets, like Byron made a lot of money, but there were a lot of poets who didn't, obviously. Um, on this journey, he employed the services of a physician called John Polidori, who he mercilessly mocked and who had grown to resent the poet. But Polidori had been paid by a publisher in England to spy on Byron. Yes. So he could sell the work. Unfortunately, that diary of the Grand Tour never got published until, oh, about 50 years later when Polidori's nephew released it. So unfortunately, Polidori didn't really get any money from doing it. I'm just curious why is, he didn't. That's intriguing. Uh, I think it was because uh, Byron had died by that point. And he thought interest would die down? Well, yeah, the, John Murray is a pain in the ass. He's um. Oh, John Murray! I know of John Murray. That every John Murray's a fucking dickhead. Sorry. <laughs> and which one? Because it's like the Dread Pirate Roberts. It's one John Murray after another John Murray. Yeah, isn't he at Edinburgh, right? Uh no, he was um. Or no, was he the big publishing house in London, right? Big publishing house in London, yeah. I just read a lot of stuff that he published, so. Yes, he, he published a lot of things. He also held up a lot of things, including Frankenstein. Polidori got pretty sick of women falling all over Byron and Byron... Fucking everyone. Exactly, in sight. Um, <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you. Bang. Meanwhile, <laughs> everyone's ignoring poor Polidori, who was a little bit grim and boring. He was more broody. And just boring. He was a very intelligent man, though. He wrote his dissertation on sleepwalking. Ooh, intriguing. Mm. He's a very interesting man, actually. They were travelling around in a carriage that was a replica of Napoleon's blue carriage that Byron had specially made. That's not a dick move or a douche move. Not at all. So there was a long, young woman called Claire Claremont who the poet had had an affair with recently. I'm sorry. That's an unfortunate name. She chose it herself. No. That wasn't her original name. No, honey. I think her name was Jane. I could be wrong there. 
but she chose her own name. Claire is pretty, but Claire Claremont. She thought it'd be good because she wanted to be a writer. She didn't. End, she did end up writing two books. Um, so she wrote lots of letters to Byron saying, "Hey, we should hook up while you're in Europe," you know that sort of thing. And Byron's ignoring her. He's flat ignoring her until she came up with a plan. Did she end up in his bed? No, but she didn't end up in the same house as him. So her half-sister was Mary Shelley. <gasps> dun, dun. And so, of course, she knew Percy Shelley. And Byron really liked Percy Shelley. He hadn't really gotten to know him, but he really liked him. So they all ended up in on Lake Geneva in a house called the Villa Diodati, which I could do a whole thing on, so I'm not going to go too much into it. But basically... While they were on that, while they were all there, Mary Shelley started Frankenstein. Yes, and Doctor Polidori wrote The Vampire. Yes, so that's a whole thing that Byron was around for. The thing about The Vampire is Byron wrote a similar fragment at the same time that Polidori was said to have copied. Polidori originally published The Vampire under Byron's name, maybe. We don't know if he did it deliberately or if the publishers decided to do it to make more money. Yeah, they had a lot of power. Like, people don't realize they had a lot more power then. Like, now authors can say, no, I'll go somewhere else. But at that point, like, normally initial authors had to pay for the first run and all of this stuff. So if they were like, hey, if we publish this under Byron's name, we will cut this fee out and... You know, like, there could be a 20 different reasons why they did that. And Byron ended up coming out publicly going, I didn't fucking write that. That's shit. <laughs> so, yes. Poor Polidori. And Polidori ended up, like, going in through this massive depression cycle. He couldn't write another book again. Um, and he ended up killing himself by drinking cyanide. Oh, shit. Yeah. It's a very hardcore way to go. But um, what Byron said. It's almost up there with Socrates, you know, like. Yeah. Drink some hemlock, drink some cyanide. Cyanide's not a pleasant way to go. No. And the quote from Byron on Polidori's death is, Poor Polidori, it seems that disappointment was the cause of this rash act. He entertained two sanguine hopes of literary fame. Fuck off, Byron. How about that? You caused someone to die because you said they were shit and they believed in you. A little bit, and they wanted your opinion, and they were probably flat broke. Yeah, absolutely. And he couldn't practice medicine again because he was a laughing stock. Yeah, no. Your reputation was a lot more of everything then, especially if you were Byron's doctor, too. Like, they'd be like, oh, fucking really? That asshole? He's probably just treating crabs constantly. <laughs> well, a lot of it was laudanum. He was prescribing a lot of laudanum and helping Byron with his, um, eating disorder by the sounds of things as well. Polidori wasn't the only one that Byron dragged. He also dragged Keats because Keats wasn't from aristocracy or he wasn't a gentleman. He was a poor kid, basically. Not poor by, like, any reasonable standards, but poor by poet in um, that era standards. You weren't, you weren't from the aristocratic class who could afford to be a poet. He was probably a middle-class person who could... If he made some money, kind of afford. I love the movie about Keats so much with Ben Whishaw. <laughs> I love it so much. I love, I love him. <laughs> I love him so much. Oh. Um, 
so what he said after Keats died was, is it true what Keats says, uh, is, it, is it true what Shelley writes me that poor Keats died at Rome of the quarterly review? I am very sorry for it, though I think he took the wrong line as a poet. So basically it's like he shouldn't have been a poet? Yeah. He's like, oh, I heard he died of a bad review. He shouldn't have been a poet. He died of like, he had like tuberculosis or consumption, right? Yeah. Byron had this idea that the bad, the bad um, press made it worse or something. Something very poetic, you know, what it's like with dickheads like Byron. <laughs> oh my God. And Keats is beautiful. He has beautiful writing. He does. He really does. Uh, where am I? Uh, do I went a bit off my script because I know too much about the Villa Diodati and not much else. <laughs> so w- while they're at the lake, people at the hotel w- paid for telescopes to watch them on the boats. And, and there was this whole thing where they hung out the, sh- the bed sheets and for some reason... The public thought that they were the undergarments of Claire and Mary. Oh my God. It's. Yeah. They were tabloids, basically. Yeah, they were just. They have nothing better to do. They're like, there's famous people in town. Let's. We could knock off for a couple of days. Let's watch them. I love that they had, like, they were, like, did they rent telescopes to watch them? Rent them from the hotel. The hotel provided them with telescopes. Fuck yeah. That hotel's like, make it rain. Make it rain. Oh, shit, I've been talking for an hour. I should hurry up. Shit, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I can edit it down. I can edit it down. Trust me. Okay. Um, okay, I'll, I'll need to bring the mood way down because if I don't talk about this, then I feel like I'm not talking about Brian. But Brian. I'm not talking about Brian. <laughs> Gosh, Brian. <laughs> Brian's the fucking worst. Um, so Claire Claremont was pregnant with Byron's child. So she finally got her to wish. Well, no, she she they fucked before he left, and then she was trying to get his attention again. She didn't realize she was pregnant. She had a little girl called Allegra in eighteen seventeen. Wait, wait, what's Byron, her name? Allegra. Oh, I thought you said Legra. No, 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 <laughs> no. Allegra, like the musical. I forgot what it is. Not a musician. Um. <laughs> uh, so Claire couldn't afford couldn't afford to bring up the child as well as Byron could. So she's like, Byron, can you help? And Byron's like, sure, but only if I can have complete control over the situation and you won't see her again. What? So here's the thing. Claire thought that she'd be able to convince him later on because she was like, oh, he won't be able, he won't want to take care of a child all the time. I can convince him later on. I want her to have a good life. So Byron wanted her, Byron didn't let Claire anywhere near her. He refused to let a Catholic Italian woman adopt Allegra, she looked after Allegra for years, refused to, he refused to let her adopt Allegra, even though he barely saw her, because he wanted Allegra to marry a Catholic Englishman. And he was worried that if she stayed in Italy, that wouldn't happen. Like, it was three at the time. That's not the point. <laughs> he wouldn't let her be brought up in the Shelley household because Mary and Percy weren't technically married at that point Percy's first wife was about to kill herself at that time and it's a whole thing the drama (laughs) but yeah so um he ended up putting Allegra in a convent and nobody visited her while she was there except for Percy and he was trying to he was trying to forge documents so that 
from Byron so that they could get Allegra out of the convent and she could come back and live with her mother. But she ended up dying of a fever. No. At the age of five. Byron's a dick. Byron's a fucking asshole. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's an asshole of history. My unofficial series, The Assholes of History. <laughs> Apparently he was deeply upset. Oh, really? Was he? Did he visit his daughter? No. Did he visit her grave? Probably not. He got her transported home to England. But has she ever been to England? I don't know. I think maybe she spent a little bit of time there while he was shifting her around. That's a great way to describe a child, shifting her around. Shifting her around. And where he buried her, they wouldn't let her be buried in the main section because she was Catholic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Her mother, Claire, never had any other children and swore off men after Byron. I don't blame her. Yeah, she was miserable about the whole thing. She never stopped trying to get back in touch with her daughter. <sighs> anyway, sorry to bring that down. But Byron's about to die. So <laughs> positives. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm sorry to bring that down, but he's going to die. Okay. Yay. <laughs> so he decided that he was going to get in, uh, involved in the Greek War of Independence. Smart. He seems to know a lot about politics as a poet. And as a yes. human, he seems yes. great at dealing with that, considering his way of dealing with the politics between people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so they were fighting for war against the, against the Ottoman Empire for independence. As one so does. He he's described as reluctantly leaving his Italian mistress at the time. It broke his heart. He wept the whole voyage. I don't think he could cry. I think the only time he cried I, was when his dog died. Yeah, I think that's probably about it. So he chartered a brig. So not a small vessel, a brig. Yeah, it's a decent sized ship. That's a ship. That's not a <laughs> boat. That's a ship. A brig called the Hercules. Uh, he didn't quite know what he was supposed to do when he got to Greece. And uh, rival Greek factions attempted to recruit him. And he was really upset that they weren't more united against the Ottoman Empire. Because that's how revolutions happen. Everyone is united and everyone agrees on everything. It's fine. The US definitely had that situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he has no idea about politics and suddenly he's been thrown into this ridiculously complex situation. Um, he ended up paying for 30 officers and 200 soldiers out of his own pocket. Yeah. A lot. So poetry makes money for some people. Mm -hmm. uh, no one can see that. I just did the making it rain. Yeah, <laughs> the make it rain money. I like that you just I, were just like, like uh-huh. And I was like, no one got that. The only reason I went uh-huh was I'm like, okay, how do I, I don't even know how I acknowledge that. No, what? <laughs> um, he adopted a nine-year-old Turkish Muslim girl called Hato. But he couldn't even take care of his own daughter. The reason he adopted her was because she would probably get killed by the Greeks because she was a Muslim girl. So he adopted her to protect her, sent her back to Kefalonia? Kefalonia. It's like K-E-P-H-A-L-O-N-I-A. -E -E. So I'm saying Kefalonia. Probably pronouncing it wrong. Uh, my only thing is I might think it's near Bosnia now, Bosnia-Herzegovina, because there's a large... Muslim presence there? That's the only reason I would think that. Maybe. I'm just taking my knowledge of the Yugoslav war, though, from that. 
it's a little little different time period, but yeah, that area like send it send her where she would be safe. But I mean, that's still not a better option because she doesn't know anyone. This is it. Um. So after he's done that, after he's Let's just send her away. It's fine. Just go away. Um. Actually, during this, actually, he fell in love with a soldier called Lucas with one of those beautiful multisyllabic Greek last names that I'm not going to try to pronounce. Yeah. The love was unrequited, and Byron would die in Missolonghi at the age of 36 from a fever without entering into any of the heroic combat he had anticipated. Yeah, that's what people don't realize about the, the re- like rebellions and revolutions. You're not always fighting. Sometimes you gotta like do planning, getting tr- supplies. That's why Alexander Hamilton wasn't always happy, because he was like, why can't I fight? And they're like, we need people who don't fight. You're valuable. Like... It's it sucks, but some people are really good at like the administrative work, and we need you for that. And like, yes, you're good at fighting, but there's not as many people good at administrative work, and you have really good writing skills. And Byron, I feel like he'd be a shit fighter anyway. He'd be like, Ugh. me too. Eh. But he could jump, and he could swim, and he could. He got a club foot uh... though. You know, his foot would get caught on something, and he'd end up like buried under a pile of things. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Byron died under a pile of things. (laughs) It's not how he died, guys. Fever. There are so many wonderful romantic paintings of him, him being a politician in Greece, even though it did. Was he wearing a toga? Please tell me he was wearing it. He was wearing the dress, like the the weird hat thing. I'm sorry, Grace. <laughs> was he wearing the 18th century military garb? Is that what you're trying to say? I think so. With the, the sideways kind of Napoleonic hat? Not quite. I, I should have sent you a picture. But if anyone wants to have a look at Byron's arrival at Greece, and I'm pretty sure that one he's just dressed like a normal Englishman but with a sheet over him. <laughs> I'm just assuming Jane Austen garb and then a sheet. Like yeah. they're trying to they're trying to put on a play in their house. Pretty much, I think it's pretty from memory. I think that's pretty much it. But Byron portraits are amazing. Oh, I will they're find just, as many as I can. There's one of his death, which is just him dead on a thing. Is it like the death of General Wolf, where he's like laying back and there's like a light shining on him, and everyone's like, no. not quite. He kind of actually looks a bit green. Oh, so it's like the one from the French Revolution where they, the guy who got murdered in his bathtub and he's just like... Mm. Yes! Yes, it's more like that. You should it's all know like I'm acting these out. Like, I literally just... Did. It's very dramatic. It's beautiful. He's got his, um, uh, his, like, little... I love that he had the pre-bath, like, kind of, like, setup where now we have, like, those things you put over your bath where you can put your wine glass and your tablet and... Yes. People have been doing it forever, except for we didn't have electronics. Thank you, Morgan, for that beautiful story. We've been talking now for like six billion hours. I know. Can I just add one quick thing? Yes. His memoirs were burnt by John Murray, the publisher. Fuck yeah. I'm kind of okay with it because he's kind of a dick, so. That's it. Can you tell us where to find you? Uh, you can find me on most podcast apps at the Frank, where the Frankenpod, and I am on Twitter at the Frankenpod, and I'm on Facebook at the Frankenpod. You can pretty much just type in the Frankenpod and we'll pop up. Not many other things, the Frankenpod. So thank you for coming for our 50th an- episode. I was going to say anniversary, as- new asshole of history. Eventually yeah. I have to do a compilation of, I forget everyone I've called an asshole of history, and it's always what I've wanted to do. Is refer to people as assholes in history. 
Yes. Um. So next week, I don't know who's next. We're recording Yay. this in advance, so it's a surprise to me too. But tune in next week, devotees. Um, check out the Facebook group on all the social medias. They'll be after this, but yay, 50 episodes. What do you guys want? Congratulations. Thank you. What do you guys want to hear next? Do you want more history? Do you want more true crime? Do you want more historic true crime? Do you want some ghosts? I don't know. We'll see. Bye. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) It all starts with Frankenstein. Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein, which uses the Promethean myth, which her husband Percy Bysshe Shelley wrote about. And they were both friends with Lord Byron, who kept a bear at Cambridge. It was the key shape of the Romantic movement, which Oscar Wilde would be at the tail end of when he wrote Dorian Gray. He was influenced by a yellow book, which inspired the publication of a magazine called The Yellow Book, which specialised in lustful and violent tales, in which John Buchan was published, according to Betjeman, who wrote about Wilde's arrest. And Buchan wrote The 39 Steps, which later became a Hitchcock film, before he made Psycho, which was based on a dean who made corpses into ornaments, unlike Victor Frankenstein, who made a man by grave digging and stitching corpses together. You done? Not even slightly. The Frankenpod, it's a podcast stitched together from the corpses of mystery, noir, gothic literature and cinema. Subscribe to us on your podcast app. Mens rea is the legal principle of intent that must be proved in a number of crimes, such as murder. It means literally the guilty mind. The Mens Rea podcast explores the most notorious crimes from Ireland and the UK and the court cases that followed. Every fortnight, a new case is discussed. So if you like hard-hitting, in-depth true crime podcasts, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and subscribe to the Mens Rea podcast today. Thank you for listening to The Cult of Domesticity. We are available on all podcatchers. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at The Domestic Podcast and Instagram at The Cult of Domesticity. If you have a topic request, information, or want to send us a recipe, please email us at thedomesticpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and share with all your friends. Remember to stay domestic and cult-free.